Hey everybody, welcome yeah. to a new episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile, aka Anthony. I am Brad, aka Brad. AKA Brad. And uh we got a new one for you today. Before we start, you know, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You know, uh, engage with the video. Let us know what works, what doesn't work. Use the comment section. Let us know what you think about these movies. Um, I'm not going to tell you to smash the like button, but uh, just just gently press it. You know, leave a comment about Anthony's shirt. Yeah, leave a comment about my shirt. Um, but you know, the like button never hurt nobody. Just just <laughs> gently press it. You know, I don't know why people say smash it. Like, well, you gotta smash the like button. That's a good thing, dude. You will smash the dislike button. I can't see you smashing the like button. I really like this video. Uh, you you really need to like a video. Just be like, no, I need to, you know, break my keyboard. <laughs> they should do this thing where if you if, if you feel somebody through their phone smashing the like button, they turn it to a love symbol. And that's like a higher version of like. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love this video. This is the best video I've ever seen. I'm serious, man. YouTube needs to create that. Like that's that's the I version mean, of smashing the like button. They technically have like three different levels of subscription because you have I like to subscribe to this channel and kind of see their videos. Then you have the bell icon if you want to get alerts oh, whenever yeah. they post anything. <laughs> and then they have the one where you can pay money to see videos early or some. I can't remember what that benefit I think it's is. It's called join. Be yeah, a join. Be a member of this channel. Yeah, hit the bell. Uh, I guess I got to be one of those people. Yeah, got, yeah, folks, hit the bell. I like, don't know what the bell is. <laughs> like, share, subscribe, hit the bell. You know the drill. Yeah, you know the drill. Smash the like, gently press the like button, you know, and hit the smash bell. Smash the bell icon. Pressly gent the uh, like button, but uh, smash that bell. Yeah, you know what you can do with the dislike button? It's like, don't even press it at all. Just invisible. Th- there is no press dislike it. button anymore. YouTube got rid of it. No, I still exist. You just don't see the stats. Oh, so it does still. Okay. We see the stats, but they don't see the stats. Oh, well, you definitely want to make sure that people see that you like this video. So, you know, remember to like it. For sure. All right. We got a classic one here. uh, Continuing our anime series. And uh, I say we got two influential anime films we're talking about here. We got Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, we have two of the most influential anime uh He just had to one-up me. I had, had to, to one-up me. I, I had to correct you on this one because Akira is basically the foundation of what has come to a lot of modern anime these days. And Ghost in the Shell has basically defined an entire genre of sci-fi movies. You know, everything from The Matrix is coming from uh, Ghost in the Shell. You know, basically any time that you have computer bodies being inhibited by somebody, that's mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell inspired in some way, whether it's inspired by it directly or inspired by one of the movies that was inspired by it. It's These two mi- movies are basically a staple of most sci-fi in general or apocalyptic scenarios. I got the feeling you're going to go in on this one. I got the feeling you you got a lot you got a lot of bullets in the chamber. I, I of what you got to say? Oh, I, I got a lot to say on these ones. Uh, buckle in for this three and a half hour podcast. This is going to be great. <laughs> Just one hour for me. I'm gonna leave the last two hours of him talking to himself. Right. The lights <laughs> at some going point, out. <laughs> the lights are gonna go out in half the video, and he's right. gonna be gone. I'm gonna be sitting here going. And another thing about this movie, <laughs> you know, you know, fifty minutes in, 
uh, 25 seconds in. Did you see that part when they yeah. did the, you know. You, you got to stop on frame 275.30. It's the best <laughs> frame. You'll notice the little bit of glint in his eye. That's a reference to frame 25973. When the. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I can actually picture you saying that. That's that, that's what makes <laughs> I, I it would funny. totally do that if if we ever do a Scott Pilgrim podcast. It, that's that's literally what it's going to be is just a play by play of every single scene in that movie. <laughs> yeah, man, I purposely put that off for a while because I know the minute <laughs> the minute we do it, Brad is going to turn into to full fanboy, and like it's not even going to be a DFV podcast. It's just going to be you ranting to whoever's there, like. Man, I'm telling you, man, it's one of the greatest films ever made. You see that? You see that scene right there with Michael Sarah. If you pause on him at that at that moment, he has that classic Scott Pilgrim pose. Like that that mo- that episode is going to be Scott Pilgrim versus itself as I simultaneously praise the movie while ripping it apart. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, man. Uh, what what you think, man? You think we should do this chronological? Um, you know what? For this one. Yeah, let's do chronological. I think that makes sense. Okay. Did you want to start off with Akira and I can do Ghost in the Shell? Um, so, yeah, we can do it that way. Hey, so, it just feels like it feels like you got a lot to say about Akira. Uh, I have a lot to say about both of these movies. So, uh, starting off with Akira, this movie is based on a manga, and the movie only takes place during the first about half of the manga as it was still being written when the movie came out. But taking place mm. in a dystopian Tokyo that has been rebuilt after a World War III event has occurred, uh, we follow the this biker gang uh, containing the members of uh, Canada and... I'm trying to remember his other name here. Tetsu. I want to say Tetsuo. Tetsu. Tetsu. Canada Tetsu. and Tetsu. Uh, we are also introduced to a anti-terror, or I guess they're more of a terrorist group, uh, followed by uh, Kei, Ryu, who kind of are trying to infiltrate the government and figure out the meaning of Akira, which right. is just this godlike being that everybody kind of praises and thinks is the savior of Neo Tokyo from the government that has risen from there. But we follow this biker gang that is trying to just reclaim its possession over this clown biker gang who (laughs) I love that it's just a clown biker gang Uh, in the mean, But during this event, we have Tetsuo who runs into this little child that looks like an old man who actually has psychic powers and abilities beyond those of a normal human. Mm-hmm. In doing so, he adapts some of those powers and is taken from the government to be kind of watched over and see what happens to him when they find that he seems to have a better uh, basis for these powers than any of their other experiments have. So it's up to Canada to team up with the, the, I guess, terrorist organization that's trying to take down the government of uh, Kay and Ryu in order to get his friend back. Okay, folks. That, that's as did, did, boiled down of a synopsis as I can think to go for this. 
Did you understand anything for all y'all that for all y'all that haven't seen this movie? It's probably like three of y'all. Uh, did you understand a single word that this man said? <laughs> okay, I thought so. <laughs> I said biker uh, gang and clowns at one point. If somebody doesn't understand yeah. the word clowns, we're in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, man, this movie, uh, in a nutshell, is wild. Yes, I can't. I can't believe this came out in the eighties. Yeah, this is a very brutal movie in terms of like gore and death and everything like that uh it does not hold any punches back this is basically before the idea of like hey you should maybe you know tone down the violence in movies uh because this was originally like a pg-13 movie too if i recall correctly like this this wasn't even considered r back in the day i think it was during re-release that it got its r rating yeah it's a wild brutal film and at the at, at the time it cost uh i think 700 million yen which translates to about 5.5 million u.s dollars to make so it was like a very expensive anime film at that point yeah it was the most expensive animated venture that had ever been done whether it was a tv show animated movie or anything else that was kind of in the anime genre like the 5.5 million this cost was astronomically high compared to anything else before it i don't know if it was because i was watching it in 1080p but it, it just it's it felt like a 90s film to me like the fact this was made in 1988 is impressive yeah and it's all hand-drawn animation too so everybody yeah. feels very like lively it has that it, the facial expressions on every character are absolutely perfect uh every right. character is distinct enough that you don't get confused on who you're seeing on you know, at the I, time. I got it. I got it, man. At some point, I did kind of confuse uh, uh, Tetsuo with uh, who's who's the girl? Is it Ray or Kay? Uh, Kai. Kai. Like, if it wasn't for the hat, I I, I confused Kai with Tetsuo a few a few times. I'm like, wait a minute, who is that? I was like, oh, okay. Uh, well, it's some scenes. Then you have uh, Tetsuo's uh, sister who there's a couple scenes where she looks very close to Kai and it's kind of like, Oh, is that? No, that's not Kai. That's her. Like, that's the girl that he grabs as soon as he escapes the hospital the first time. And they jump on, uh, bike to kind of try and escape the city and everything before they're cut off by the clown gang again. Yeah. I want to say this before we get into the meat and potatoes of, of Akira. Um, Dude, I really wish the future was as cool as these movies try to make it look to be. Like, you know, when 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 this movie starts, uh, a dystopian 2019. Oh, that's like, right. Yeah. This movie does take place in 19, doesn't it? Ghost in the Shell takes place in like 2020 something, which we haven't caught up to yet. Like 2026, I think. I don't uh, know. 229. 229. Uh, Blade Runner starts off in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like, man, I wish the future was really ended up really being that cool. Yeah. When were we supposed to have hoverboards according to Back to the Future? Wow. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. Um, Yeah, man. When this film first started, you know, you get the you get the uh, background of how Neo Tokyo began. You know, there was like Third World War uh, destruction. And then, you know, from the ashes, Neo Tokyo rose up. Uh, I like the background of it. Uh, the scenes where the bikers are kind of racing each other, I'm like, okay, you know, where 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 is this kind of going? Because you know, mm-hmm. I didn't look up anything on this. I just had always heard that Akira was a great 
film. It's my first time watching this. I I, I always heard it was just a great um, animated film. Now, the moment one of the ESPs start to show up is that that's what they call them, right? The ESPs. Yeah, they call uh, them the ESPs or the experiments because they each have a number. The moment the moment one of the experiments showed up, I'm like, okay, who is? What is that? Yeah, what's with this like, very old child? <laughs> that's right, blue. I'm like, is, is that Frankenstein? Like, what what's going on here? And you can't really destroy him. That's when I said, okay, this might be going. It might be going in an interesting direction. Then you get to the point where they're captured, and then you know you start to understand what's going on here. The film takes a while to kind of build its plot, but you're 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 drawn in by the visuals. The visuals draw you in before the story. Yeah, this they definitely start off a little bit slow to introduce you to these characters. Like your first interaction with these characters is you see them in a bar setting where one mm-hmm. of them's literally flicking through albums on a jukebox while one of them's having a conversation with you know the uh, bartender and everything and. It kind of they slowly build up these characters to be like these are friends these this is a close-knit gang of people that they care about each other and so when they actually get caught after the events that happened with uh, them running into the child and then the bike gang and stuff and the terrorist organization and everything they get called into like police interrogations where they're like, what are you doing here and stuff? And they're just like, we're, we're just fighting the clowns, man. I don't know what to tell you. We're, we're just here to fight the clowns. Yeah. Just to fight the clowns. There's one scene where a sexual assault almost happens. And I'm like, Whoa. Oh yeah. So that was after he got out of the hospital and he grabbed like his sister and they were going to like make a run for the edge of the city. And that's, yeah, right, luckily, Canada right. uh, and the rest of the gang kind of appears and helps him out there. And I, I love the kind of back and forth that uh, Tetsuo and Canada have with each other. With you know, Canada being like the leader of this gang, he's looking out for his friends and everything like that. And Tetsuo almost sees him as an adversary, as mm-hmm. a rival, because he's constantly looking down at him from his perspective, because. He's always needing help. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, the one scene that really creeped me out, like, because it, it started off so innocently. I was like, oh, OK, he's probably he's probably tripping balls or something. Like when um, Tetsuo is like in the bed and he sees like the the teddy bears and stuff. climbing. Oh, the little the stuffed bed. animals. Yeah. Right. And you feel like I feel like, OK, he's probably tripping on some drugs. They probably like drugged him or something. Then he turns around and they get bigger and they start coming at him. And then, like, I didn't notice until oh, I and they're like oozing after. like milk out of like their stitching and everything like that. Right. And I didn't notice until after, but that was really the ESPs trying to take him down because mm-hmm. he could bring about the next destruction or whatever. Um, I didn't know that until I looked it up. But you know, I was like, man, I was kind of like a like a disturbing scene. And then uh, the music. The music kind of haunted me a little bit mm-hmm. uh because i was like i started to be like nicholas cage not the bees i'm like not the bears <laughs> not the bears you know every time i heard that song uh but that's when things really c- kicked in the gear for me because um again this is another film that like i said in the last episode with uh uh paprika it demands your attention uh well it demands your attention when things get rocking and rolling because with the whole mm-hmm. government uh, political subplot, it kind of lost me in some places. 
but when things get rocking and rolling, you, you got to pay attention. Like the moment he runs into that guard, and I think he mistakes the guard for one of the bears trying to kill him or something. Uh, uh oh no, he's just trying to get out of like the room and stuff. And the guards are kind of coming at him and going, "No, you got to get back in the room." And right. he still doesn't understand what's going on, and he doesn't yeah. understand his powers yet at all. So he's basically just saying no, but he's. Ex- you know, exploding in power at this point that he can't control, and that's just killing everybody. This dude, he's this dude did one swipe at a guard, and just all of a sudden, just just like split his body in half, and it held it to a part where the the, the arm is hanging from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. There's blood and guts all at the top of the ceiling, and he's walking around holding his head like he got a headache. I'm like, all right, this guy's gonna be a problem. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna contain him, but he he's gonna be a problem. Yeah, so when you say, like, disturbing imagery in this one, uh, the one that comes to mind that even, like, every time I've seen this movie again, this scene always kind of, like, irks me, and it still does, is when he's, like, in the street right after the gang fight with the clowns again, the second one, and he visualizes, like, his entire insides exploding and falling out of him onto the ground, and he's trying to, like, scoop them back up inside of him again. You know, to try and, like, keep himself from falling apart. It's all in his head at this point. It's one of those... Uh, I psych- must have grazed over that part. Oh, it, it that's a brutal moment. Like, one that, you know... I know it's animated and everything like that, but that's one of the right, scenes right, that, like, right. makes my stomach churn a little bit of, like, mm, I don't like that. I still don't like that. Uh, I must I must, I must have grazed over that. Um, It's a very quick scene, but it's, like, right before the... Uh, you know, commander comes back in and, you know, takes him back to the hospital. Right, right. I know. I got you. Canada, uh, 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 Canada. Um, I like how the film kind of ha- has a turn with him. You see him as like this big, tough guy, you know, leading this gang in the beginning. But like when he meets um, when he meets Kay and uh, he starts to like, uh, you know, be concerned about his friend. You see a softer side to him. Mm-hmm. You, you see him kind of come down and be like, "Hey, man, you, you, you're tripping right now. We need we need to get back. Like you're you're not you're not yourself." Um, and you see you see the tough guy act start to come down a little bit and show show his real side. Yeah, he genuinely cares about the people in this gang. It's not just oh, I'm the leader of this gang of a couple members and stuff. He genuinely cares about these people because. As we find out later in the movie, these are basically all outcasts. Right. You know, these are the ruffians that were taken away from everybody else that were seen as, you know, the standout people that nobody wants to be around. And that's how they form this bond with each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The Akira slide. Is that iconic to you? The, oh, the bike slide, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say so. It's definitely whenever I see a movie, like pull it off the same way with like the one foot out completely sideways. Mm -hmm. I always think of this movie. It's, it's just one of those things that's in my head. Uh, I don't know if it's that way for everybody, but I've seen this movie enough times that it's that that's what I think of. Okay. All right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about folks, the Akira slide is like where he, uh, well, basically what you just said, the one, the one foot out, he slides on his motorcycle, you know, kind of think, think the matrix, you know what I mean? Think John wick a little bit. And that's, that's the Akira slide. 
Um, yeah, I, this is my first time watching this movie, and I did not know that came from this, in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of movies were inspired by that scene in this movie. I didn't much care. I didn't really care about the government plot line. Um, I didn't much care for the colonel either. You didn't care for the I really liked the colonel and everything because it shows that he was the villain of this story, but he wasn't really the villain here. Uh, If anything, we saw the heroes or who were the true villains as heroes with the terrorist group who was hired by one of the other like government people in order to throw off the colonel and his entire operation because he was just causing money to be spilled into this project to try and save Neo Tokyo instead of being put into his pocket. So I I really love how it plays with that idea of like, who's the villain here? Like we're presented to act like the Colonel's the villain, but in reality, he's probably one of the better people in this movie or like the most noble people in this movie. And then you have the people that we see as the heroes that uh, Canada teams up with is going, Oh yeah. Like they're, they're not, good but they're they're good guys they're trying to help and everything and then realize no they're not they're here to create chaos because they were paid by the government in order to try and take down this part of the government that's taking money from the politicians right right so i I love how it plays with that kind of concept and that's something that it that's inspired other things as well like this is one of those ground points that this movie is I gotta say, I just wasn't. Um, he didn't sell me, man. Like he, I, I he, it, it was like I wasn't really invested in him as a villain slash hero slash conflicted whatever. Mm-hmm. I wasn't invested that much. I was like, okay. eh, I don't really care. Like you know that that's kind of where I was with it. Um, but I will say, uh, I like the I like the chemistry between chemistry. It's a cartoon, but I. <laughs> Like the real actors or something. I like um I like the connection between Canada uh con- Canada and Kay. Um, I feel like you know how he's always kind of hidden on her, and at one point I think the Colonel shows up and he goes, "Uh, who's he?" And they they think he's like a spy. He's oh like, well, no, that's um, when uh, Ryu shows up after they like got separated at first and goes, oh, right, "Who right, he? Right. Who is he? Is he a spy?" And he's just going, well, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm her boyfriend or anything like that, right, but, you know, right. we're, we're pretty close. I thought that was pretty funny, like, um, how he's always chasing her. And, like, I like how her mind are, is, uh, you know, uh, uh, reasonably so on more urgent things. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have time to flirt with you. Like, the world is about to collapse. Yeah, I, to I her, this is just this. some pesky kid that keeps showing up around her. And she's just like, really? Right. What are you doing here? And then he's like, well, that's my best friend. She's like, oh, God, of course. Of course, that's your best friend. Of right. course, there's a reason to bring you along. God, I hate my life. <laughs> right, right. I, I love that dynamic between them. Um, dude, that final fight scene was something else. Like, like, again, for an 80s movie, that was yes. very well done. Yeah, I absolutely love how they play with the idea of, like, he's invulnerable to a point. Right. Uh, like, he's not completely invulnerable, but his power can basically dissuade anything. Like, the bridge scene, I absolutely love that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he's just walking across the bridge, and then the people come out with the laser guns, and 
you see him like whip past him and everything like that. And he's thinking nothing of it until he looks at the people behind him. that have been just sliced to all hell and back just from these little laser beams. At that point he starts deflecting them and you know, he takes down the entire bridge using his power and everything. And I love the idea that he doesn't understand his power, but he knows that he has a lot of power. Yeah. I, I like that. And I also like how it plays into, um, again, with uh, Perfect Blue, idol, war- idol worship. Like when he shows up on the scene, you know, a bunch of protesters, they get together and say, oh, Akira, he's uh, finally returned. He's yeah. Akira. And he just makes the cape out of nowhere. And like... Um, yeah, he takes it from like a flag that's like fly- been uh, knocked down and stuff by this tank. Or no, the helicopter that he like threw into a building. Yeah, I like how in the midst of all that madness, they take a point just to show like a whole bunch of like people following him like he's their God or something. Yeah. Like, I I just love that. I thought that was that was funny. Yeah, I love it's the same protesters that you saw before that were being broken up by the police too on the bridge when, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the colonel is talking with uh, one of the doctors, I think it was going, you know, this is, you know, reality those are the people that are going to take this city back. It's not us. You know, we're just another pawn in the game, but those are the people that are going to end up taking this city and making something better out of it. And you just see them literally later, you know, lighting themselves on fire in order to appease who they believe is Akira. (laughs) Yeah, this is, yeah, this is a wild movie, man. And, uh, I, has this ever been, I, I probably has, uh, I wanted to ask you, has this ever been turned into a meme? There's one point where uh, Tetsuo, I don't know if he's talking to the colonel or Ryu or somebody, but I don't know where Canada appears from behind him. He goes, Canada! Has, has that been turned into a meme? Um, It could be. It's not one that I've run into, at least. Uh, okay. you got to keep in mind, this movie was pre-memes and everything like that. Uh, dude, meme, a yeah. meme can be made out of anything. Like like anything from the eighties or where whatever era. True, but at the same time, I don't. I, I think mm, it might be. I haven't run into it though. I I think the bike slide is like the only thing close to like memeing, or when he turns into the giant blob monster. You know, mm. I I think that's the closest I've seen to like memes in made for Akira. Speaking about blob monsters, uh, what a sequence, man. Yes. Watching him kind of like literally explode into this creature that he has so much power he can't control whatsoever to the point that he ends up killing his sister, uh, Mm -hmm. almost kills uh, Kanada before the other ESP experiments kind of band together. And uh, also the reveal of who Akira is is so great because... You know, with it being just the tubes of who was once one of the uh, experiments. Mm -hmm. And each bottle is just slightly like, here's, you know, his brain matter. And here's like his brain stem. uh, Here's some of his veins. Here's, you know, this. And it's literally just little bits and pieces of what's left of him after they tried to do their experiments on him. In order to like save it for a future generation that might be able to better understand it. Right, right, right. 
but with the kids like finally like coming together and being like no we'll we'll uh be able to see akira again and they actually like see the ghost of the original akira and everything yeah there's that part kind of lost me because um i knew they were going back in the past in some kind of way but i i I didn't know whose past i was looking at whether it was tetsuo's or canada's like i was a little confused as to what was going on yeah it it was uh they were rebirthing uh, akira to be able to use his power to take uh, care of Tetsu, who was mm. in an uncontrollable state. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, and I like that scene where the ESPers they're like, "Hey, you know, if we do this, we uh we might not come back." Mm-hmm. You know, and they go, "Yeah," and then like you said, "Well, we'll get to see Akira again." And uh, I thought that was a nice, cute moment. You know, for some characters I didn't really care about. Uh, I I called them the Frankenstein's. Yeah, they but, really didn't have too much to do in this movie outside of yeah. just exist, <laughs> sadly. They, they didn't really have much of a... I'm not going to say they didn't have a purpose. I'm just going to say they didn't really do much. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a cute scene for sure. Um, yeah, I like the showdown. I like the aftermath of it. Uh but I want to ask you, so what what does this movie do for you? Why is this such a, a number one in, in your criteria? So it, this is a classic because this is one of those movies that kind of takes the sci-fi, cyberpunk kind of genre. And it created basically what everybody describes as like cyberpunk now with the way that the city was, the dystopianness of it. Uh, you have the idea of like the super powered person that can't control what he's doing. Um, it basically people call that being a cured when somebody is just given so much power that they can't control it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie has basically inspired a lot of like different sci-fi uh, shows like uh, Elfin Lied was heavily inspired by this. Uh, mm. Even like Ghost in the Shell that we're going to get into in a minute was heavily inspired by Akira. There's... I heard Elfin. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm going to say I heard Elfin Lied is great. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. And a lot of the ideas that that one builds off of are from Akira. So this one, the movie has so many great concepts and everything that's become a staple in anime that a lot of like major anime themes can be brought back to this one. So, you know, it might not be like the strongest movie ever, but its impact on the anime world is untouched by anything else. Okay, okay. I hear you. Um, yeah, I can. I can, listen, man. I see the greatness in this movie. I really do. Uh, that being said, uh, I, I'd honestly, you know, I give it a four. I give it a four. I for something that's made in the eighties. Uh, I, I, it, it really looks like really very well done to this day. I, oh, yeah. I give it a solid four out of five. I, I think it's a well done film. Yeah, th- this uh, is a 4.5 to me. It's there's so many great concepts and everything like that. It's it's a staple of anime culture at this point. You know, it's impossible to get away from this movie and it stands up today as a great movie. It's an easy one to sit down and rewatch. You know, when I was playing together that we were going to do this episode, it was like I had that little spark in me going, I get to watch Akira again. This is going to be good. 
I like this. This is going to be a good day. <laughs> I like how you say I get to. You can watch it anytime, man. I know. But at the same time, it's like one of those things where where you get to watch something knowing that you're going to be able to talk about it. And For be a purpose. To, right. Okay, yeah. I got you. I, I, I love that. Uh, and with this movie, I, I love the idea that we get to talk about it and stuff because it has so many great concepts and moments that I love. Uh, the scene where they have like the orbital kind of satellite shoot down at him. And the first time you see the little beam kind of slowly, you know, mm-hmm. close in on him and you go, well, what's that going to do? And then you see it completely tear off his arm and it shows, mm-hmm. oh, he can be killed. He can be stopped. Right. And then later we see him show up again with that robot arm and then it starts like molding into the throne and everything and he's unable to control it. It's There's so many great scenes in this movie uh, that I literally probably could fanboy about this movie for three hours and not, you know, double up on any moments. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I agree. It's, um, it's a very well done film. Uh, I feel like if I watch it another time someday... I'll, I'll gain. I'll, I'll catch more of the nuance of it because it did kind of take a minute to kind of get my attention. Well, it had my attention off the visuals, but as far as what was going on, I was kind of still questioning. All right, where we're we going here? Mm-hmm. Um, man, I w- I would just I could just imagine. You know, at one point, Chris Nolan was gonna make this into a live action movie. Uh, yeah, and then Taika Waititi was gonna take that over. And I want to say that James Cameron was looking at this one as well when uh, he wanted to do something for it. Uh, This movie has gone through a couple things. I would love to see a live action. I know that there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, they would never be able to do this one in live action. But it's like this I could see them doing in live action. I don't think there's anything in this that they would be restricted from live action from being able to do this isn't like uh in the last episode that we did last week where we talked about paprika i couldn't imagine anybody touching that one for live action this i could see it done right on a a very low budget i could see my man who did prisoners of the ghost land doing paprika (laughs) i can honestly see that and uh every character except paprika is a uh, you know, it, it's played it by Nicolas Cage. No, played by Nicolas Cage. Oh, play. <laughs> I, I you can know see what? it. I, I will absolutely jump behind any anime movie redone where every actor and actress is played by Nicolas Cage. It's 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 what dreams are made of. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's yes. what dreams are made of. Anything can be possible. Listen, I think I think James Cameron would kill it. Uh, if he wasn't so focused on blue people, uh, I know Chris Nolan would do a great job. But you know who I wouldn't sleep on based off um, what I saw with the leader Battle Angel? Robert Rodriguez could do a great Akira. Yes, I think that uh, when it came to Alita Battle Angel, that was one of those projects that basically everybody was like, it's never going to happen. It's just James Cameron has been talking about this since like I think he bought the rights to that one in the 90s. In mm-hmm. order to do that one. And it was just floated out there. And eventually he gave it to uh, Rodriguez and was like, I think you can make this. And it, I love that movie. That that was a perfect example of like an anime live action movie done right, where it takes the source material and runs with it perfectly. 
That's a that's a very fun movie, man. I like Alita: Battle Angel. Are they are they doing a two? Are they doing a sequel? I think they want to do a sequel, but I don't think they've confirmed if they're going to do one or not. Uh, if they okay. have, I haven't seen anything on it. But at the same time, it's it's getting further and further from the chance of them doing that one as every day passes and there's no announcement. You got to be careful with that because uh, anticipation grows into um, exasperation. And then uh, sometimes that long way sequel doesn't really live up. Yeah, but you would think if they were going to, they would have said something. I want to say that any chance that we had of that movie was probably killed off by like ghost in the shell, uh, failing. And I will now go ahead. Uh, I think that basically killed off any chance and they'd need to have like another animated movie hit live action and be successful in order for them to look at it. Because technically if you look at the sales and everything, Alita Battle Angel didn't exactly, you know, bust out of the box office as a success. It was more or less a break even. Hmm. So it was critically praised, but in money terms, there's no reason for them to invest in doing another one. Look, man, I'm going to say he does have an original voice. Um, I don't I don't want to see a Taika Waititi Akira, man. Not this. I don't know. I'd still get behind it. You know, it'd be an interesting one. Um, I I don't know. I'd I'd still kind of get behind. I'd watch it. That's for sure. I would see a a Taika Waititi Paprika any day. Now, I know he would do well with that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say what he can't do. But I I don't know, man. If there's one anime movie that I would love Taika Waititi to take, I want to see him do a uh, Speed Racer 2. See, I kind of saw the first one, but I, I wasn't really paying attention. Um, you know, the one that Wachowski's did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm not really a speed racer guy. Oh, see, I remember watching the show and everything like that. So when that movie came out, I was hyped on that one. I know a lot of people were like, oh, man, they're doing an Astro Boy and a Speed Racer movie. I was like, yeah, they're doing a Speed Racer movie. <laughs> yeah, I just remember Speed Racer being on. Uh, I, I with the Cartoon Network logo, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, Speed Racer." When's Ed and Eddie coming on? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. But all right, we uh, we we digress a little. We do that here at DFE. Uh, ready to move on? Oh, I am ready to move on. All right, man. We got Ghost in the Shell, directed by Mamaru Oshi. Uh, so with this film. Now, we're not here yet, so this gives me some hope. Uh, this is in 2029, uh, 2029 Japan, and we have uh, we have a cyborg. Uh, uh, it's cyborg agent, cyborg assassin slash agent. Uh, her name is uh, Motoko. Um, her and her, um, her, uh, her 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 co-worker or her uh, her teammate. What's his name? Uh, Bato. Bato. They are hunting somebody called the Puppet Master. This is a person that um, has uh, taken control of some um, half-human, half-cyborg bodies. Uh, this, is, this is an era in the world where people who um, are human 
are are kind of made with cyborg parts or you know some cyborgs yeah have they're given uh cybernetic enhancements so being seen as a clean go. human is almost seen as an outcast in this world because everybody has some kind of cybernetics in them at some point whether it be some way to replace their legs so they can run faster uh batu has the cybernetic eyes so he can literally like see through walls and everything and yeah. then you have Matoko, who is literally a, a shell of like a cyborg body with a human brain in it. She's basically 100% cyborg, except for her brain. Mm. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, what it is. They're, they're hunting down this mysterious ha- hacker called the Puppet Master. Um, now, it turns out that, you know, somewhere in the movie, we discovered that uh, there is a cyborg body. Uh, similar to Matuko's uh, um, that uh, is uh, hacked by the puppet master, but they're bigger, stronger, faster, more intelligent, and uh, frankly, more dangerous. Mm-hmm. So um, basically the surface plot is about them trying to hunt this person down and figure out what their motivation is and what basically what do they want. Now, beneath the surface, you're dealing with uh, what is life? What does it mean to really be real? You know, um, are we just ghosts in shells? Like, like what what does it really mean to be human? I guess what I mean to ask, not real. Uh, I got to say, man, straight off the bat, uh, with this being a first watch, this hit me way harder than Akira did. This, this had me hooked in from the go. Oh, yeah. So with this one, this definitely plays with, like you said, what is it to be human? Because Mm -hmm. at one point, people are like, well, if you have human memories, does that no longer, but you have all cybernetic body parts like uh, Makoto, does that make, or Matoko, Matoko, yeah, Matoko, uh, does that Mm -hmm. make you any less human than somebody that is, you know, a semi-cyborg where they have replaced their arms or somebody has replaced their legs or that person that hasn't replaced anything on them because they still have the same thoughts, feelings. They're still human in essence, but they just don't have blood running through their veins anymore. Does that make them no longer human at that point when they still have feelings, consciousness, and everything like that? And then it plays with the idea with the puppet master being literally an AI who is conscious of himself and conscious of those around him and what he is and everything, or he, she is. And does that mean that that's a human now? Because you can put those memories in a brain, you know, that that's something that he plays with is erasing people's memories and implanting new memories in them. And does that mean that they're no longer human because they don't have the memories or real memories anymore? Mm-hmm. And it makes you play with the idea that maybe the major uh, Matoko, you know, who say that she was ever a real person? She could just literally be a bundle of fake memories put inside of a cybernetic body. And they, they play with this concept in every way possible. And it does get you thinking because it, it brings it up as like a really good psychological point. Yeah. Like there, there's layers to this, man. There's great layers to this movie. Um, I got to say, man, the moment Matoko comes on screen, you could tell she's just a great badass, man. Mm-hmm. Like the first person they hunt down. Um, it wasn't my man that she fought uh, when she had the invisible cloak thing going on. Who was it? Who was the first? Per- it, it was somebody in the meeting. Right. 
And uh, it, it was the uh, person that was hired to assassinate one of the government officials. Right. She she snipes this dude from outside the window, man. Yeah. Like that. That was just so awesome to me. Like I think he pauses at one point, and I think he kind of you see the bullet, you see the blood come down. He kind of just falls out or something like that. Like he, he got shot so fast. I was like, oh, this movie has my attention. Mm-hmm. You know, Akira. I kind of had to build up my attention to kind of yeah, see what's Akira going on. Akira definitely has a slow build where it's like, here are our characters, here's their dynamic with everything. Uh, this starts with the major, uh, who is uh, Matoko, literally sniping a dude from like across a city, more right. or less, and then pretty Wanted much style. going, yeah, I got him, you know. Right. No Wanted big deal. Style. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, and I love her. Uh, I love her. Uh, her relationship with um, uh, uh, Batu. 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 Um, and you could tell Batu, you know, wants this human connectivity, but doesn't quite doesn't quite know how to put his finger on it. Like there's one point where he he's speaking with um, Major, and he's like, "You could have got yourself killed out there." She goes like, "Oh, you worried about me now? It's not it's not the first time I've ever been in that situation." I'm just saying. And then he stops himself, mm-hmm. and he kind of turns around. It's like you could tell he has a human emotion of like caring for her whether it be in a protective sense, a romantic sense, we don't really quite know, but he cares for her, you know? Right. He doesn't see her as just a robot. Right. Uh, he sees her as a person that he can lose and a person that he highly respects in regard to what they do and everything like that, because she is a complete badass, to put it blatantly. Uh, yeah. There's even a point where one of uh, the other people that's on their group uh, Batu goes, I got to go give her backup. And he goes, you're going to go give the cyber chick backup? Since when does she need backup? Right. When does she need help? Right. You know, since when is she in danger? I like how um, she's calmly explaining because I think he asked. Uh, I don't know if it was him or another person. He was like, man, I, I wonder why am I teamed up with you? You're just so perfect. And I'm kind of like I have like this slight handicap. She's oh well, you know. Uh, you know, she's loading up the gun. Just it's so routine. Her says, "Well, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a uh, too much of a perfect uh, lead on your side, it can lead to uh, see when you have too much of an advantage, it can lead to a disadvantage." Is basically what she was saying. Mm-hmm. But she was saying it's so robotic, like, like you know, like this this kind of work is just in her. Yeah. It it, um, it definitely I love her interactions with the different characters and stuff. Uh, the especially because she has the ability to like telepathy. You know, it, it's basically telepathy mm-hmm. with uh, talking with people because she can talk with people with cybernetics, and right. you know, she basically can go into their head and talk to them in private and everything like that. So there's no like radio interference or anything that can go between them. So it's private conversations and it's an easy way for them to talk to each other with being a secret task force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, how, <laughs> I like how towards the end when uh, the body, um, her, her, her body almost gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Batu is like, Hey, you okay. And you know, you don't, you don't see her lips moving, but she's like, eh, it's not the worst I've been, not the worst damage I've been through. Yeah. <laughs> You know, she just treats it like it's just another day at the office, and it's just hilarious. Um, 
Now, what was I going to say? I was going to say, man, the time when the puppet master reveals uh, himself in the uh, in the uh, I want to say the the prototype body that was taken from Station Six. It was it was taken from um, Station Nine. Uh, right. Section nine is the one that makes go. the bodies, uh, the cybernetic bodies. Section six is the one that Major and Batu and everybody work for. Dude, what a great introduction to a villain, man. Or like no, that. I have that backwards. Section six creates everything. Section nine is the one that they work for. Okay, I got you. I got you. That was just such a great introduction to a villain, man. As uh, as as she's talking to them, like. Like and and she's kind of, well, he, uh, he's kind of hanged up like Jesus in a way, you know what I'm saying? As yeah. they're interrogating him and stuff like that, and he talks about like, uh, well, this is my motivation. I'm um, I'm a different type of being. I'm a more advanced type of being, and I my goals and objectives far uh, exceed the reach of uh, what you do on the day to day. Like he's like just talking down to them. I got a guy reminded of Ultron. You know, yes. James Spader's all Ultron from Avengers of how he kind of like uh, talked down to the Avengers when he first came into like robot form, mm-hmm. robot physical form. Yeah. Yeah. I love how he basically he's, you know, I'm a being above you. You know, right. the, my goals and aspirations are so high. You wouldn't even be able to comprehend what I'm thinking right now, let alone what I'm aiming for. Mm hmm. And I love how it's even smart when, like, they have his body and everything like that, like, taped up. You have the people coming in to uh, take a look at his body from uh, Section 6 going, yeah, this is our property. We need to take it. And they have two people with them in the invisibility cloaks and everything. And the way they find out is by watching the doors and being like, okay, so the doors were open longer. You know, the cars, we took the weight of the cars in the parking spots, and we know that there's no way, even if they were fully cyborg, that each of those people weighs like a 1,000 pounds. So there's definitely other people with them with heavy machinery, and that's when they take them and run for it. And, yeah, I love how this movie is very smart with showing that the detectives that are a part of this group – are mm-hmm. smart as well. Like they can see exactly what's going on. It's a very intelligent film. Yes. Like it's, it's a very intelligent movie. It's a very cool movie. Um, great action. You know, when it was first announced that Scarlett Johansson was going to be the live action uh, version of, of this character, I hadn't seen the movie, mm-hmm. but I, I did know it was an anime. And I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, why not go with the Asian actress or, you know, well, this is Japanese. Why not go with the, a Japanese actress to play the role? You know, why not? But then, well, when I think about it with a role like this, a woman that's just like just purely just like 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 tough and rough and, you know, just a professional. I said, OK, I kind of see ScarJo in that role um, now. You saw the film. Did, did the mm-hmm. film fail for that reason? Or was it other uh, reasons? No, the fail. If I was to put why Ghost in the Shell, like the live action one, failed, it's because it dumbed itself down to try and be a general audience movie without realizing that Ghost in the Shell, like the original movie, already is easy to understand. It's not, it doesn't right. need to be dumbed down, but they had to dumb it down or they felt like they needed to dumb it down. And that's where the movie falters because it over explains itself to the point that 
this movie moves that movie stops to explain itself every about five to ten minutes did it have narration uh, it didn't have narration, but it might as well have because it had like okay. conversation. Like in this movie, you have the conversation on cybernetic parts of, you know, mm-hmm. you have the new guy in that goes, well, you're literally a ghost in a shell. You know, you're basically a cyborg. And then Batu goes, look, man, you're the outlier here. So-and-so has cybernetic legs. So-and-so has cybernetic arms. I have cybernetic eyes. You're the only one here that isn't part cyborg. And then that's mm-hmm. you, you understand it from that little conversation that okay, cybernetics right. is a normal thing here. People that don't have cybernetics are actually more of an outlier in this world. And Ghost in the Shell, the movie, uh, or the live action movie, it, they constantly bring up, well, you know, I have cybernetics, I have cybernetics, I have cybernetics, I have cybernetics, and it's like I don't care what cybernetics you have. You, I already assume that you probably have cybernetics in this world somewhere. You don't need to tell me, and if mm-hmm. you need to show me it, show me that you have cybernetics. Like the people that have like the hands that like stretch out so they can type faster and everything which I think is hilarious in a world where basically anybody can plug into a computer and direct stream information to it. They're still using keyboards and they gave themselves cybernetic hands in order to be able to type better on keyboards. The slowest right, form right. of input you can imagine. Right, right. I right. love it. Um, that's not really a critique. I just, I absolutely love that. That's it's so nineties of thinking of just going, no, no, they wouldn't make it so they could, you know, connect to the, you know, keyboard and type faster with little smaller fingers instead of going, no, no, they would just connect to the computer directly through like the ports. (laughs) Right. So it has an exposition problem. It does. It it has a dumbing down and exposition problem and everything like that. Cause I would even say the action in that one is on point. It's got some good action scenes in it. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, Scarlett Johansson, I don't think was a bad lead. And when you basically go to this world where shells are created to be like the perfect, you know, uh, being the perfect looking person, right? It, you have anybody in that role is going to knock it out. But Scarlett Johansson had a name because of Iron Man and like the Avengers movie at that point. You know, she right. was a star to draw people in. She was already seen as that badass woman actress. And right, right. I remember people actually. Nice hmm? I was gonna say nice eye candy too. You right. know, like yeah, you know. And because yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, people actually brought like the original like photos from the set that were brought out and everything, showing her as uh, the major. And they brought him to Japan and were like, hey, what do you think of this person playing live action? And uh, like nine times out of ten, people were like, she looks just like the person from the cartoon. This is beautiful. It, this is amazing. Right. They, they got it down right. Meanwhile, everybody over here in the U.S. is going, she's not Asian. She's not Asian. She's not Asian. Yeah. It's like yeah. the major yeah. wasn't Asian herself. They never say, <laughs> you know. Right, but, but but it was made by you know a, a, a it was Japanese, made in Japan, right? You know, and look, I get it. I know cultural appropriation. I get. Listen, mm-hmm. I know about cultural appropriation, but I was like, eh, okay, I guess. You know, I I, I wasn't invested in the movie, so I didn't really care. But um, it, this was one of the ones where it's like, pick your battles, people. Just th- this isn't one of the ones that you should be fighting on. If you knew anything about the source material. Obviously, the people complaining about this haven't seen Ghost in the Shell 
or don't care about Ghost in the Shell. They're just complaining to complain. Right. Because right, otherwise right. they would be like, yeah, this isn't a battle worth fighting. It doesn't matter. She's literally a shell of a human body created by an organization. <laughs> that's that's, if that's anything, the ironic thing. It would be more yeah. racist if they were like, no, no, no we got to make this shell Asian looking. <laughs> uh, right, right. Like, uh, that's, that's literally what the movie is. It's a shell. Yeah. But uh, that's funny. That's really funny. There's this one scene I love between her and uh, Batu where they're sitting back just talking. And at some point she has this monologue where she goes like, at this very moment, I, I I feel this in my body. Like I feel this way. And, you know, it doesn't, it sounds like her, but it's like a voice kind of comes out of nowhere when she, when she stops. Oh, you're talking, talking about the scene on the boat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and a voice kind of comes out of nowhere when she stops physically talking. And even she looks around a little weird. And Batu was like, was that you? And uh, I like how the film, the scene just cuts and they don't really like explain it. Mm-hmm. They just move on to the next scene. Like I, like I said, there's little subtle moments like this within all the action and all the, uh, you know, um, heavy plot that uh, makes this a great movie, man. Oh, yeah. Um, like even taking a look at that scene and everything, like she's deep sea diving and Batu makes a you know comment of, well, aren't you worried that something could happen to your body and everything like that? Like you're going right. below depth. You're you're going into uncharted territory, a place where you literally have zero control. She goes, it's Message. where I feel most human is because I actually am vulnerable there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. I uh, I dug it. I dug it. What you feel about the final showdown? Where uh, Batu helps him helps her uh, get into um, the uh, the puppet master's body, and they become one. Well, he gets in her shell; she goes in his shell, so to speak. Um, no, they merge into the single shell. So it's not that they swapped bodies. Um, it was she was trying to get into his head, and mm-hmm. simultaneously he was trying to get into hers. So they were simultaneously both in each other's bodies at the same time. But in order to show mm-hmm. like how they weren't, you know, they were more of a single person in that timing and everything, they showed it as each other's bodies to show that they had the ability to combine into either body. Right. So what you what you feel about that whole scene? Um I absolutely loved it because it, it plays with a lot of the things of, you know, uh, look, you're a human with human memories and stuff. I'm an AI. No matter what, we're never going to be seen as, you know, completely human. So, but I can give you abilities and powers beyond your wildest dreams. And you can finally give me the most human thing ever, which is death, because neither of them are going to live through that. They're going to become a new person at the end of that. Mm-hmm. And I love that even with uh, Batu literally saving their lives and everything by taking the bullet in his arm and allowing her head right. and brain to survive and then finding like the child body for her head to be on, like insinuating she is born anew. She's no longer the major. She's no longer the puppet master. Uh, she's a new person that has the memories and consciousness of both of them in a single body as a newborn. And as a kid's body and everything, which is all he could find at the moment, I love that. It's 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 a perfect thing that doesn't explain itself, 
but you understand it. So in the end, just explain this to me. Is the puppet master still alive with uh, her in the kid's body? Technically, the major and the puppet master are both dead. Uh, the mind in the kid's body is a new combination of both of their minds, a.k.a. a new person. It's like they had a kid. Ah, I see. And they okay. drove down their traits to that kid. So the, uh, that new person still has the memories of the major and everything, has the abilities of the AI puppet master. But it's a new person. It's not the major or the puppet master. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um. Yeah, dude. I love the music in this film, man. I like how it's just yes. like there's like whole sequences where like there's not a word of dialogue, and you just got the great music playing. You have the music playing. You have the action. Um. The the one action point near the end of the movie with her going up against the tank is great. Uh, mm -hmm. With her literally running and trying to like gun it down and stuff like that. She's literally just trying to get it to run out of ammo. That's her only goal with that. And she managed to take out one of its gun turrets. The other one runs out of ammo. So she runs at it to try and rip it open. But even with her cybernetic body, she's not strong enough to tear the tank open. And it ends up ripping her apart literally. And right before it can kill her and everything like that. That's when Batu shows up and takes it out and everything with an actual anti-tank, you know, missile and everything. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I'd probably get us a five, man. This really hit me from beginning to end. Like, it, it kept my attention. Yeah, th this one's an easy five out of five for me. Um, I used yeah. to have this one on DVD, and I no longer do because that DVD wouldn't play anymore. <laughs> You, you played it too much. I, I, I already know what you got about it, to say. Yeah, yeah. That, that one got uh, a lot of use. Uh, I, I love this movie. I, I've seen it so many times over, and I remember the first time I actually saw it on Adult Swim and everything back in the day. This seems like an Adult <laughs> Swim movie. Yeah. So this was actually one of the intros to uh, anime for me as well. This one's got a special place in my heart that's never going to leave. You ever watch the animated show? Uh, I have. I've seen the unofficial sequels, the animated show, Standalone Complex. Uh, I haven't seen the new Netflix 3D animation one. Hmm. Uh, I didn't even know there was a new Netflix one. Yeah, it came out like 2018, I think. Um, let me see. Because it was close to the same time that they came out with... Uh, the movie what was it called um no it wasn't a rise it was something else I'm trying to remember what it was called but yeah there there's been a couple shows and everything um standalone complex is a really good one if you want to see more ghost in the shell content uh check out standalone complex and then there's also the second season of that one called uh second gig okay yeah, uh, you see the influence of this film on a, on a lot of things, man. I can see oh, yeah. my, I can see even though Minority Report is based off a of Philip K. Dick story, you can still see a little bit of this in in, in that in that film. Um, you can see the Matrix. You can see this in the Matrix. The Wachowskis, uh, I, I think it's like they came up to Joe Silver, showed him this movie, and said, "We want to make this in real life." Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, the Wachowskis have literally said that Ghost in the Shell was their biggest inspiration for The Matrix. 
Uh, James Cameron has also said that Ghost in the Shell was an inspiration for a lot of his stuff as well. His inspiration for getting Battlestar Alita, the rights for that, uh, as well as Avatar. A lot of the concepts in that came from Ghost in the Shell. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's, it's listen, I can, I, I can see why Akira is so legendary, but with this film, it hits me instantly why this is a legendary movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, this it, movie stands the test of time, I think. It's such an easy one to throw at almost anybody, and somebody they're going to enjoy something about it. Now, see, this is an example where I watched something that was dubbed, and it didn't feel over the top. The voices felt just right. Yeah, this is one where I actually started trying to watch the subtitle version of this one, and I was just like, this isn't right. I did, The voices are all wrong. I got to watch it dubbed. It's just, it's how I right. know it. It's so ingrained in my brain to watch this one dubbed that I can't do it <laughs> with subtitles. Right, right, right. I got you. Yeah, you know, you well, you started off uh, dubbed, so, you yeah. know, it's, it's hard for you to switch back. I started death note sub it's hard for me to watch dubbed mm-hmm. you know and it is what it is um all right man i think that wraps it up uh before we go you seen any movies lately any new ones um not really i i put all my effort in watching akira and ghost in the shell 15 times each before this episode you know to get my standard daily allowance in <laughs> I'll admit something to you. Uh, I kind of rewatched the Twilight films with my wife in in and out. I I was watching some of them with her. Uh, I got to be honest, man. Breaking Dawn is a very good movie. Is that because you just watched the first couple and you were just like, this is so bad. And then this one that was they do get better as they they get better (laughs) as they go along. I'm serious. They get better as they go along. Breaking Dawn. uh, Well, really, part two. It's actually a great vampire action movie, man. <laughs> Listen, I know you laughing at me. I'm serious. It was a well done movie. So, <laughs> have you seen them? You haven't seen. I any have of not them, have seen you? any of the Twilight movies. <laughs> Uh, you can't relate i get it i i can't uh, relate whatsoever the only thing i know about the twilight movies is uh the shirtless werewolves and the glittery vampires you don't want to see glittery robert pattison um no i think he was good as batman i don't need to see him covered don't in you glitter see where he came from how far he's come no <laughs> no i don't need to vampire. see how they make the hot dogs you know i can just enjoy a hot dog <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I don't even see how they made the hot dogs. Oh wow, that's funny. Uh yeah, but you know, my yeah, I was just watching it with my wife. But uh <laughs> that's funny. I don't even see how they make the hot dogs. Uh but yeah, that's pretty much what I watched. Uh I saw the first two episodes of Better Call Saw. So I'm finally starting to watch it. Oh, of the new season of season six. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good, man. Oh, yeah. Pretty this season stuff. is blasting off. And the worst part is we're uh, coming up to the break. Are we at the break? It's either we're coming up to the break or we're at the break. I can't remember. But luckily, it's only like a month and a half or so. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. See, here's the thing about Better Call Saul. I don't really watch it trying to see what happens next because... I, I know what happens to most of these people. 
mm-hmm. you know, outside of, uh, you know, who's my man? Uh, Lalo. Um, it's my man's name. Nacho. Uh, there's Nacho, the- Lalo, uh, Kim. Okay. I think those, those are the three. three that are like new to better call Saul that are still around outside of those three. Um, I know what happens to Gus. I know what mm-hmm. happens to Mike. I know what happens to Saul. Well, we don't know what happens to Saul present day. We don't know what happens to Gene. We know what happens to Saul. <laughs> Gene. Gene's his uh, new name after the events of Breaking Bad. When he's the Cinnabon oh, manager. Okay. All oh, right, right, right. We don't know what happened to Gene, but we, uh, we, we, we're about to find out what happens to Gene. But we don't, we, uh, we know what happens to Saul. Yeah. Like I I know what happens to these people. So it's really at this point, I'm just kind of going along with the ride. I know what happens to my man that 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 rings the bell, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um and the Salamanca cousins. I know what happens to them. As terrifying, I'm not te- they're not terrifying, but as as intimidating as they are, dude, who who could who could expect that DA agent Hank Hank Schrader would be the one to oh, take, to take out the Salamancas. <laughs> Right. Like, that's just such a Vince Gilligan thing, dog. Oh, I absolutely love it, though. It, it's such a great scene with... Because there's a oh, lot of man. tension in that scene. Breaking and Bad it, is so good. I. It's a know. great show, and it ends right there. Yeah. As soon as he shoots the guy, it ends right there. Yeah, you there. see his head explode from the one experimental bullet, and then that's where it just ends. Right. Um, oh, man, dude. One of the best... Breaking Bad endings of all time. We're going to do a little bit of a digression, folks. I I, I don't think any ending tops this. I, I honestly don't know one ending that tops this, dude. Brian Cranston in the crawl space, losing his mind, going from screaming to crying. Oh, to, to laugh. laugh. Yeah. To laughing. And Skylar's on the phone. And um, I think Maria's on the phone freaking out about something that happened. And you just see the camera slowly pan out from Brian Cranston's laughing face to like the toilet literally shaking, mm-hmm. representing the claustrophobic fear and paranoia in his mind. Cut to black executive producer Vince Gilligan. Yeah, just that's not a better mic drop than that ending. No, it, it that show like even on the episodes that you can basically go. Yeah, nothing happened that episode like the fly episode. Fantastic episode like fly it's 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 nothing happens but you're watching it for the chemistry of uh brian cranston and aaron paul right i like fly it's i I wouldn't introduce that as the episode to watch for somebody you know first coming into breaking bad because they're gonna say like dude they were they were catching a fly i don't understand but it's like if, if you're investing into these characters and you come up to that point fly is polarizing but it's not a bad episode like it you you admire the writing of it right yeah like literally nothing happens in it but it's still a good episode it's like it it, even when breaking bad it's at at its worst it's -hmm. still better than most other tv shows and i think better call saul he jumped off of that ramp and pulled it off a second time like i can honestly say i like the characterization in better call saul more Oh, absolutely. I yo, yeah, the character development is great because like I said, Breaking Bad, the character development was also great, but you're watching it for the plot. You're mm-hmm. in a clockwork universe. You know at some point the cancer's coming back. It's mm-hmm. inoperable. 
So you, you want to know what happens from Walter at point A to point Z. So you, time is running out, but it's just all about where you, the journey of where you're going from. Well, not the journey. It's more about the destination of how is this all going to end. You right. watch it for the journey on repeat viewings. Better Call Saul, you, you know where this is going, but you're watching it for the journey and for the characters. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see where the rest of Better Call Saul goes. I am, I'm hyped. <laughs> to say yeah, the I'm least. in, man. I, I'm enjoying it a lot, man. I love the, I love the chemistry between Kim and Saul. I love Lalo. He's one of my favorite villains. I didn't think anybody could top Gus in my book, man, but I really like Lalo. Like I, I, Lalo I like him. is great. I'm, I'm loving that actor now. Um, cause prior to this, I didn't know who he was at all. I don't even know if mm-hmm. he did much before he was Lalo, but he's already mm-hmm. appeared in Hawkeye. I've seen him in trailers for some other stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's great. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I gotta look him up cause Tony I, Tony Dalton, just, that's who it is. Okay. I just know him for that role, but, uh, I'm sure he's going to get more work after this. You know, it's a great role for him. Oh yeah, you know it's saying? a breakout role that's really throwing him in. Um, we kept, we started to see more Jonathan Banks on Parks and Rec and stuff after uh, Breaking Bad, you know. And he's a veteran actor. Uh, him and- oh, he was in Community, not Parks and Rec. You sure he wasn't on a Parks and Rec? No, yeah, he was. He was a uh, he was he was also on Community, but he was a uh, who's my girl? What's my girl name? That's the main star in that show, Parks and Rec. Amy Pol- uh, yeah, Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler's husband. She she was his father-in-law in that in that uh show. She was her husband's uh dad. Oh, okay. Because they had a joke where um she says uh hey I got you guys M and M's I know you like M and M's and he goes we're a Skittles family <laughs> like he just delivers it in such a great Mike way you know but um yeah yeah he he was. He was in that episode. I okay. know he was. Oh, Ben's parents. That's who he was. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely forgot. I remember him in Community because he had a pretty large role in like the last season of that show. Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm sure he's going to get more work uh, oh, after yeah. this. I'm sure homegirl that plays Kim Wexler is going to get more work. Uh got her name i think it's ria seahorn that's her name ria seahorn yeah yeah man uh i'm looking forward to jumping back into that because it was uh it was very entertaining but uh i think it's time to get out of here what do you say yeah i think we're ready to wrap this one up all right for sure all right y'all like share and subscribe engage with the video let us know what you like what you don't like um check out our podcast we're on Instagram and Twitter, Twitter as a double feature versus and, and uh, Facebook and Facebook and Facebook. Uh, Instagram and Twitter is with the VS at the end. So double feature versus uh, Facebook. You can just try searching for us. Double feature versus we'll put a link in the description box. Uh, yeah. All right, y'all take care. <laughs>